Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today is a really special episode. I say that a lot, but it really is. Today, I am interviewing a second time, Craig Stanlin. Craig is a reinvention architect, and I love that title. He is back to really dive into his story even more because his book is coming out very shortly. So I had Craig as a guest on the show late last fall, 2020. So I will link that that episode in the show notes. After hitting rock, rock bottom, Craig Stanley was forced to make a choice, give up or rebuild. He thought he had it all until he lost sight of what's truly important and made the worst decision of his life, losing everything along the way, including his own self-worth. Through the painful, terrifying process of starting over, Craig ultimately discovered that when you have nothing, anything is possible. Today, Craig is an author, speaker, and reinvention architect. He specializes in working with people who want to reinvent themselves so that they can create the extraordinary lives that they've always wanted. This is an incredible episode as Craig dives into the meaning of fulfillment and joy and how we have to go internal to find that and how the process of him going to prison and being in the space of almost losing himself, reaching out, asking for help, realizing that his story can make an impact with others, led him to the process of writing a book. And we shared so much about that vulnerable process on its own that I'm just, I'm so grateful and blessed to have him back as a second time guest because his story is that powerful and deserves to be shared. So I will have in the show notes as well, the information for his book, which is releasing on May 25th. And I would love for you to help me to continue to support Craig on getting his message out into the world. You're going to love this show. Welcome to the show today, Craig. I'm so thrilled to have you back here a second time. Welcome. Marsha, I'm so thrilled to be back a second time. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, we were chatting a little bit before you hit record. And like I said, I love talking to you. So yeah. I, I love our conversations. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. We have great conversations and I can't wait to see where this one goes. So let's give a little bit of a backstory for people. And I will make sure that your first episode is linked in the show notes. Where are you from? I am from originally Westchester County, New York. Mm-hmm. Now I currently, now I live in Brooklyn, New York. Awesome. And I know you're a reader. We have talked about this. We actually even talked about it before we recorded. Can you share with us an impactful book for you? I want to actually go a little bit different than 
what I said on our first podcast. I know I hopefully I'm picking a different one, but I'm going to go with Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. I believe I mentioned it, Mm -hmm. but I believe the go-to that I went to on our first episode was um, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go Meditations, Marcus Aurelius. And why I love this book is here is the most powerful man in the world, the emperor of Rome, which at the time was the Mecca of the entire world. And he kept a journal and it was his innermost thoughts. He had no intention. And from what we know of Marcus, he'd actually be kind of embarrassed that his thoughts were now a best-selling book and, and put out for everybody to see. But there's so much wisdom in there and there's so much, he's so humble and honest and just the way that he approaches things being the most powerful man in the world he doesn't look at it anything from that lens and it doesn't read like a book it's just individual passages it doesn't flow it's not a story but i will flip to any page on that and i'll find gold in it and i still revisit it all the time Mm -hmm. i love that i'm gonna have to look that up because i don't i i think this might be the first time that one's been mentioned on this podcast so i will definitely look that one up look that one up and i would also suggest the gregory hayes translation so it's meditation meditations translation by gregory hayes i i really like his translation and the way he did it and i'll give you i'll give you just if you don't mind i'll give you a it's tattooed on my ribs uh I quote from meditations, the impediment to action advances the action. What stands in the way becomes the way. I knew the end of that quote, as you were saying it, I'm like, I know that quote. That is, that is a fantastic quote is like, what can you say it one more time? Just for everyone to hear it. The impediment to action advances the action. What stands in the way becomes the way. It's beautiful. That is beautiful. You answered my next question about a quote. So I'm going to go with that one because I love that. I um, We had you on the show and I'm going to say I'm probably six months or seven months ago. I can't remember exactly. It was late fall, somewhere in there. And you shared a lot of your story. And I, I do want to touch into that a little bit. But as you get ready to release your book into the world, it will tie in nicely. Because I do want to talk to you about the process of sharing a vulnerable story in a book and what that is like. Because I can relate. I so relate and, and can feel what it's like to be, I mean, vulnerability is no joke, but at the same time, it's the only way to be. It's like, it's just the only, I think the only way to be. So because you are so good at being vulnerable, would you share with us your story that led you to where you are now? I would love to. I would never have thought, even though it was a dream when I was a kid, that I'd be writing a book. And how I found myself in this situation is is my story and what the book is about. And I could sum it up, and when I'm going to go into details, but I could sum it up really quickly of on September 30th, 2013, I had what many would consider was it all. Multiple homes, nice cars, beautiful wife, dream job. Uh, On October 1st, 2013, I lost it all. Just like that. And what that is, what's behind that is I was arrested by the FBI and charged with one count of mail fraud. And the reason behind that was because I had committed fraud against one of the world's largest technology companies for a period of just under a year. Mm-hmm. I had all these amazing things, but I wanted, I wanted more. 
And when I say more, yes, there was greed. It transformed into definitely greed, but I wanted more joy. I wanted more fulfillment. I, I had that dream of writing a book. I had a dream of creating my own business, of being more entrepreneurial. I always, also always really wanted to write a script for a movie was something that I was always drawn to, but I couldn't, I couldn't see how to make that happen while I had my job. I was very black or white. You do one or you do the other. Mm -hmm. And I had become so much my things from my job, those houses, the cars, the fancy dinners, the watches, the watches became those things. And the idea of giving all that up to create something new, to write a book, to write a screenplay, to create a company, it scared the absolute crap out of me. So what I ended up doing was just diving headfirst into becoming my things and making more money and driving that greed. And when my paycheck started to shrink because the products that I was selling became more commoditized, so the margins were shrinking, so my paychecks were shrinking, now my identity is being threatened. Mm-hmm. Who I am as a human being on this planet is being threatened. I had to do something about that. I started at the bottom of my company, so I knew how every single thing worked mm-hmm. all the way through the entire system. So I started thinking about it, putting things together. I looked like I looked like uh, Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. I had post-it notes everywhere. I, had, I mean, literally all over my laptop. It was insane. And all of a sudden I said, wow, I can make this work. And I, I one day made that choice to start the fraud. There's so much there. Thank you for laying that out. It's interesting because as you talk about this, like life, it's like life led you to that point. And yes, you made a decision at that point, but there was a part of you that was chasing the feeling of whatever fulfillment was for you. And I just, I think it's interesting right now, and maybe just love to have you share a little bit more about that. Maybe what fulfillment meant to you then, and maybe what fulfillment means to you now, because I do think that a lot of people, especially this past year with the pandemic, like identities are changing left, right, and center. Jobs are gone. People are trying to reinvent themselves. Like identities are changing. And I know even last year when I went through losing my job to embracing this full time, who I was, it's like, okay, so that's not me anymore. And this is actually not my side gig. This is actually what I'm doing. There was a major transition into that identity. So I would love, first off, if your thoughts, if you could share what fulfillment meant to you then and what it means to you now? And how is that different? Fulfillment prior to being arrested was monetary. It was external things. It was how people viewed me. It was the watch I was wearing, the car I was driving, the home I lived in, the restaurants I ate at, the bottle of wine I ordered. Those, it was, everything was external. External. Fulfillment to me now is internal. It comes completely from within. It has nothing to do with anything outside of me. And what's so amazing about that is here I was chasing that external fulfillment. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I, I had $12,000 watches. I don't say that to brag, but I say it just to give context Context. that, you know, I needed this $12,000 watch to feel a certain way. But now when I say it comes from within, I can journal, I can get my 99 cents. Bic 
and my black and white composition notebook that I buy on Amazon, you know, three pack for two ninety nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. So all total, my investment, let's say it's five bucks and I feel internal fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the difference. I love, thank you so much for sharing that. So now we have a picture of before and after you spent time in prison, you spent time like going through like your entire life changed How did you make the transformation from what fulfillment used to mean to you to what it means now? It was not an easy transition by any stretch because when I lost everything, I lost my identity. I didn't know who I was. And that really, when you don't know who you are, it's a horrible, Mm -hmm. empty feeling. And it led me to want to kill myself, to plan my suicide is how bad that that got the shame and not knowing who I was. So it was a very difficult journey. And believe it or not, it was made easier by going to prison. Mm-hmm. When I realized I lived in a eight by 12 cubicle that I shared with somebody else. It was bunk beds. I had a very small footlocker. I had five hooks on the wall. I had a plastic mushroom-like stool, looked like a little mushroom. I had very little. I mean, so little. They issue you, you know, four pair of boxer shorts, four pair of socks, two pair of jeans, not jeans, pants, uh, two shirts. Everything is so minimal. But I realized, wow, I'm okay. Yeah. And 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 when I realized that I was okay, that actually even transformed into, I feel relieved. Mm. I don't. I'm not owned by my things because I didn't pre-arrest, I didn't own my things. They owned me. They dominated me. They controlled me. And now without them, I felt liberated inside prison. I felt liberated in the fact that I didn't have all that much. Mm -hmm. And now I actually pride myself. Uh, I sublease from a friend. So all the furniture belongs to her. I still own very little and I love it. I absolutely, I love that. I take pride in that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not against, I'm not against owning nice things. There will be a day where I will have another nice watch. Mm-hmm. I have a passion for cars. I will have a very nice car, but it's not going to be who I am. It's going to come from a much different place mm-hmm. and hit that fulfillment much in a much different way. I love that. And not it'll come from a space of not needing it. Like it's needing it to fill something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no need. Mm-hmm. There's no need whatsoever. And that's a huge difference. And that's really the prison was a huge part of me making that massive shift mm-hmm. is that minimalism that's forced upon you. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is a, an incredible example. And I hope that people can take something from that because I do see so much shift in identities in what people are going through. And we're all going through something different right now. Like it's, it's, it hasn't, there's, there's no one that this has not impacted in some way, shape or form. So I, I appreciate you talking about that part of it. Cause I think we have to look for fulfillment in like from internally, not from external right now. Yeah. Completely we, agree. We, we have to, we have to at any time, but now in particular, because the other thing is too, when we, we source our fulfillment 
which also is joy. Let's be honest. It's not only when you're fulfilled, you feel an inner joy. Now you're taking two of the most beautiful emotions that we can experience and you're outsourcing them to things outside of our control. Mm-hmm. When you when we tie them to externals, we're completely outsourcing yeah. two of the best emotions that we can experience of that fulfillment and joy. And that's just mm-hmm. scary. When it comes from within, doesn't it doesn't doesn't matter what's mm-hmm. going on around us, we can still generate. It's it's a inner cistern that is perpetual spring that is always flowing. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Now, as you were in prison, I know there was a very pivotal point where you had a visitor and you had, you were almost at the point where you're like, okay, planning out your suicide and what you were going to do. Would you share with us what you went through during that time? Absolutely. And I'll give a little bit of further context. When I was planning how I was going to kill myself, there was a reason behind that. It was what I was saying before, the shame, the loss of identity. But my mind had concocted this short video of what it would look like for me to kill myself. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely graphic. It was extremely crystal clear of what it would look like to put a pistol in my mouth and pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. And at first, my mind played that once or twice, and I just brushed it off, no big deal. But then it started playing over and over and over again and started playing every second of every day. And it did that for four months straight. And I was going insane. Mm-hmm. I was literally losing my mind. I was begging. I'm not a religious person, but I was begging God to take me in my sleep. Mm-hmm. And my head hit the pillow. I was like, please let me die in my sleep. Please, 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 please. Because I wanted to make that video stop. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't share any of that information with anybody. I'm in prison. If you mention solitary in prison, or mentioned, uh, if you mentioned suicide in prison, they lock you in solitary. Mm -hmm. So I'm already feeling so lost and alone. The idea of being in solitary scares the absolute hell out of me. So I had to bottle it all up. So my friend, who you referenced, coming for a visit, visiting rooms not monitored. I can share with him. This is my best friend of over 30 years. I can get this off of my chest. I can I can get it out of me. Mm-hmm. And, and Sean comes into the visiting room. We sit down. We've got some food. And I can't tell you how excited I am to share this story with him. I'm like, I'm bursting at the seams to let this demon out of me. Mm-hmm. And before I can utter a word, Sean starts speaking. He beats me to the punch. He's getting a divorce. He's got money issues. He's got work issues. His life is a mess. And there's just this sadness in my friend's voice and in his eyes that I don't ever recall in our 30 plus years of friendship ever seeing. Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment that I realized he came to see his friend and nothing else. I wasn't my things. I wasn't my cars. I wasn't my watches. I had value outside of every single thing that I had always thought had given me value. And that was the pivotal moment. And that is when the day of my arrest was really the day my life changed. Sean's visit was the second day that my life changed. Mm-hmm. I think that that, thank you for sharing that because I know that that is a vulnerable share. I know that. Um, I think what's really powerful about that is when we can get to a space of seeing life outside of ourselves, we can we can then see that oh like there's there's other things happening there's other people like i can feel empathy for somebody else somebody else is struggling and that becomes a real shift in our mindset when we can because when we're in this space 
it's, it's hard. We just, we're thinking about ourselves, not selfishly. It's just, we're consumed with what's going on. And then to be able to see it outside and see that, that there's value that you are helping someone else. I'm, I'm grateful that he visited you when he did, and that that helped you to shift that, that headspace that you were in at that time. It was, I think, I mean, I, I believe the universe sent him to me at the right time. And I believe the universe to reinforce their message said my mom and aunt the following weekend. Oh, wow. Which wow. was, you know, my mom, flew, uh, they drove in from Connecticut. I mean, this was a big to do. Mm-hmm. And I really think that it was, okay, you, you got your lesson, but we're going to reinforce it. Mm-hmm. We're just going to send you another one. And something so, when you were saying, when we, it's not selfish, but it just, we become consumed. Mm-hmm. We, we become consumed by it. And when we can just step back a little bit mm-hmm. and give that space. I'll never forget, this is actually a chapter in the book, but I'll never forget when I was on the phone, when I was in prison, I was on, on the phone with my aunt and she said, oh boy, I'm, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to Egypt tomorrow. And in my head, I didn't say this to her, but I was like, you're going to Egypt? How the hell are you going to Egypt? We're in prison. That mm-hmm. was actually what was in my head was we're in prison. Mm-hmm. And it baffled me that this person who I love and would never begrudge her taking a trip. I'm so happy she went, but I was like, how is she able to do this? We're in prison. And I was, it, it gave me a moment where I said, life goes on. Mm-hmm. Life goes on and life has to go on. And again, that was another perspective shift for me. That's a huge perspective shift. And obviously one that helped you to continue to shift forward. So as you, how long were you in prison? And then um, I want to know from there when you got out or, or when did the idea hit you that you wanted to write a book? So how long were you in for? And when did you start to get the ideas about sharing and writing your story in a book? I started, uh, well, I had a 24-month sentence. Mm-hmm. And then we have a thing in the States. I'm not sure if Canada has something similar, but we have good time. So if you behave yourself, you get a small percentage taken off the overall sentence. So I did 21 months. 15 months of that was inside actual prison. And six months was in what's called a halfway house. So it's literally the halfway point between prison and the real world. In regards to starting the book, I started it in prison. Mm -hmm. And I started it as a function of not being able to get that story out of me before Sean's visit. I found pen and paper to be an outlet for me, to say the things that I could not say to anybody else. And that's really where it started. And and. I'd love to share this this one yeah. story. I started writing the book. So I have very limited resources. I've got my pen and paper. It's all I've got. And I'm writing. And I'm writing about getting divorced, writing about losing everything, I'm writing about thinking about killing myself. I mean, just really harsh things, getting arrested by the FBI. And I, and I remember going, publishing a book is one of the hardest things to do. Nobody's going to buy this thing. Mm-hmm. Who's going to read it? You don't know what you're doing. You've never done this before in your entire life. I just started, I mean, completely trashing myself and identifying all the roadblocks to this thing. And I said, it hurts to write these things. I'm writing about the divorce. She just told me that she was leaving me a couple of weeks ago. It's still fresh. Why am I writing about these things? And I threw my pen. I threw it in disgust. I said, why am I doing this to myself? Mm-hmm. 
and my heart chimed in and it was crystal clear. And I still have my prison journal with the answer. I flipped that page. I wrote the answer and it said to help one person. And I flipped back to the page where I was writing and the pain wasn't that bad. And that literally was the fuel that brought me all the way to where I am now of publishing was Mm -hmm. to help that one person. Because you were able to take your thoughts from inside your head and shift it to make your story about helping somebody else. And I mean, literally the entire premise of this podcast, like just going to say a hundred percent, literally the premise of this podcast is the fact that your story can help so many other people. So take us through the experience of writing a book. How long has it been since you started? And I know you're launching by the time this releases, let us know when you're launching. Absolutely. And before I do that, I would love to just say the, when I realized to help one person and it ties to what we were saying earlier about kind of stepping back and stepping outside of it, you know, here I am sitting in prison, not in an ideal place, feeling all the things that I was feeling, but I understood even through all that, I've got it a little bit better than somebody else and I can help that person. Mm-hmm. And that was just like, whoa, this is, this is huge. Right. This is absolutely huge. And in regards to the process, so I started in 2014, fall of 2014, and the book will be released in, on May 25th. So it has been a long, long, long journey. It's all said, I would say eight drafts where I did all the drafts. The ninth draft was actually working with the publishing company and you know them doing their edits and me finalizing and, and hitting all those awesome points that they brought up, which I couldn't see because I was too close to it. Yeah. So all told, I would say I wrote, I was writing it for about six years. And it was a total of nine drafts and it was messy and it was ugly. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. I mean, you, with your, with your two books, it's, it's, it's a process mm-hmm. and it's a huge and ugly process. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it is rewarding, but it's one of the most cathartic rewarding things that I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I, I thank you for sharing that. Yes, I couldn't agree more. And I know when I had always had a dream that I would write a book, I didn't know it would come from the worst experience of my life. Like I didn't know that that would be, I just, I've always felt it since I was a kid that I would write a book. Now, if you go back to when I was in school, I was the science and math geek. I love that stuff. Writing, eh, like it just wasn't smooth and easy for me. Um, but I just still felt called to do it. And I, as I looked at it and a mentor said to me, like, I think this is actually what you're supposed to do. I do think, and you have it right there. So it requires like writing requires such a, a raw digging inside of yourself in order to share parts of yourself in that story. And it's just, I, I give you so much credit and I, I cannot wait for it to be released. So talk to us about the title and just any other thoughts and what has gone through you as you have been writing this book. The title of it is Blank Canvas, How I Reinvented My Life After Prison. And I'd love to share the story of where that title came from. Please do. I had an opportunity to sit down with one of my favorite authors who I'm now friends with. I'm so grateful for that, but Kamal Ravikant. And if you haven't checked out any of Kamal's stuff, 
definitely check him out. He's an incredible, amazing guy. But I had an opportunity to have lunch with him. And I told him the story that I'm about to tell you. So when I was in prison, there is no real cut and dry answer to when you're actually leaving to go to the halfway house. There's no set date. You don't, you don't know. It's up in the air. But everybody wants to go there because it's the next step of freedom. Even though the halfway house is a horrible place to live, you can leave. You can go to work. You can go to the laundromat. You can go to the gym. You can go to church. The fact is you can leave. So you get that taste of freedom. Mm-hmm. So nobody knows when they're leaving. And you just wait for that date. Mine finally came through. I said, oh my God, I'm so excited. I know when I'm going to the halfway house. Then it hit me. I don't have anything. I have no place to live. I have no money. I have no job. And my my mentor, Ed, was walking down the hallway with me and he said, you know, he's like, you got a date. How does it feel? And I told him, I said, Ed, I have no job. I'm getting a divorce. Who's going to date a felon? Who wants to date a felon? I, I, who's going to hire a felon? I have no money. I have no place to live. I said, I have nothing. And Ed looked at me, put his arm around me, which there's not a lot of touch involved in prison. We don't touch each other. So I hadn't been touched in this way in a very long time. And it was it felt so good and so nice. He's a little bit older than me, so it was very fatherly. But he put his arm around me and said, Craig, you have a blank canvas. You can paint whatever you want. And I told Kamal that story. And Kamal looks at me and he goes, Craig, that's the title of your book. Mm-hmm. And I go, really? And he goes, yes, that's <laughs> the title of your book. And he looked He looked up, you know, he was thinking, and he says, blank canvas, how I recreated my life after prison. That's the title of your book. And as I've started doing the work that I do and the coaching that I do, you know, I call myself a reinvention architect and I love the word reinvention and I really have reinvented my life. And I asked, I asked my friend, I didn't even put it out for a vote. I just uh, sent one of my best friends, Emma. I said, recreated or reinvented? And she said, reinvented. Mm -hmm. I said, boom, done. And that's how I got Kamal and Emma helped me come up with the title of my book. That's a great title. That is really great title because I think if we all can think about it, that there are points in our life where we are all faced with a blank canvas, like maybe not to the extent as, as, um, as prison, but in many, many ways where it's like, again, the identity changes, job changes, we lose a house, we lose, you know, we lose family members, we lose kids, like things happen. And it's like, now I feel like I'm starting from scratch again. And so there's so many different times that we can reinvent ourselves and that we can create that. So I love the title of the book. Thank you so much. And I also think on the reinvention front, I think we should always be reinventing ourselves. There are some things that are thrust upon us, all the examples that you gave, but I think there's an opportunity for us to always be reinventing Mm -hmm. and to not get stuck in that status quo and to really get in those ruts that when the external changes, when those ruts all of a sudden change, it rocks us. Mm-hmm. So if we're constantly reinventing, we're, we're just better suited for when the bumpy waters show up. And that's, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of that. Mm-hmm. No, it's a great, that's such a great example and such a great point because it's, um, I was listening to John Maxwell's new book and I think it's called change your world. And he was saying that we tend to think that growth is something that 
we just keep doing, but the more we put ourselves into positions to grow, it's expansive. So we're always reinventing ourselves because we stop, we create space for more growth. And I just, I think that that just made me think of that quote when you were saying this is the fact that we're just, you're creating space for so much more and so much growth. So you've got the book coming out and you're also doing some coaching. I am. So I am a reinvention architect and I help people. I, my clients seem to fall into two very distinct categories. Some who have hit bottom much like myself and need to reinvent themselves. And then others, what I've now taken to calling uh, pre-choice Craig. And that is pre-choice to make the make the you know the decision to to commit the fraud. And they are people who have very successful careers, but they know that they want to do something else. Yeah. And they want to not be in that status quo, but they don't know how to take the first step. They don't know how to unravel their identity from their current career and their job. And they don't know that they can do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Nobody I have a client who loves woodworking. Nobody has told them that they have to quit their job to be able to do woodworking. And just to be able to take that spare time and do the woodworking and find joy Mm -hmm. and not necessarily seek monetary compensation for it, start doing the things that fill you internally and then watching the ripple effect, how all of a sudden your job isn't quite as crappy anymore because you have something to look forward to that comes from with joy, right? You found joy and created joy in your life. Right. Wow. I love that because sometimes clients will say to me, so do I start with this program? Do I start with this program? What do I offer first? I'm like, what do you want to offer first? And they're like, well, I don't know. I want you to tell me. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell you. What do you want? Like, what excites you? What are you happy with? What do you even like? Well, definitely this. I'm like, well, then start there. Like you just, you have to follow what you're excited about and what brings you joy. You have to follow your joy. Mm-hmm. You have so absolutely have to follow your joy. And that example is a great example of looking for that external somebody else to, yeah. to tell you what's going to make you happy. Mm-hmm. And you're the only person who can do that. You can, and you know, it's so easy to be afraid of that, to understand that we have that much control and that much power over our lives mm-hmm. that we can choose our joy. Mm-hmm. That can be a little intimidating to some people. It sure can. It's a little bit, it's, it is definitely scary. There's so much that you're saying there that I just want to hit home for people. And I know that it will, I want you to share, what do the words ownership and choice mean to you? Because to me, you embody them completely, but I would love to know what they mean to you. I would love to start with choice. Choice is freedom. Full stop Choice is freedom and freedom is my, one of my core values, it's one of the most important things to me in the entire world, because to me, freedom also means peace. But back to choice and why that equals freedom. The more choices that we have available to us, the more freedom we have available to us. And we create more choices by living one of my other core values, which is courage, living courageously and taking those difficult paths and making those difficult choices. Because when we make those difficult choices, I, I, I use the analogy of, it looks like a Salvador Dali painting where there's a door in the middle of nowhere. There's, no, there's just a door frame, there's no structure, and we can walk around the door. We can go to the other side, we can walk around it, we don't have to go through the door, 
when we make that difficult choice and we walk through the door and we cross that threshold, we enter a whole new world. We're no longer in the world that we saw. And when we do that, we give ourselves even more choices. And like I said, more choices equal more freedom. And then ownership is really, ownership is understanding that things are going to happen and that we own our response to them. And we own how that impacts us and how we are going to move forward after whatever it is has happened. We get to choose, I get to choose whether prison is going to be this permanent label that will keep me confined in a mental prison for the rest of my life, or it can be the most liberating thing that's ever happened to me. And that's ownership. Mm-hmm. Oh, gold. Absolute gold, what you've just said. I just absolutely love it. And I love the work that you are doing and you're creating. So the release date for the book is May 20th? May 25th. May 25th. Okay. May 25th. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I will make sure all of the information is in the show notes. And um, I did pre-order mine last last fall because I was just like, I just wanted to support it. And I loved, I loved what you're doing. So I, anyways, I will make sure it's all in the show notes. I can't wait to read it. Where can people connect with you and where do you hang out the most? I hang out the most on Instagram. It's mm-hmm. Craig underscore Stanland. Mm-hmm. And also my website, craigstanland.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will make sure everything is linked in the show notes. I have two questions for you that um, are signature questions and you've answered them before. Who knows if they'll be the same answers, but what impact do you want to create in the world? I love this question. And I, you know, I think I want to actually tie to what I was just saying about choice. I want people to understand that they have a choice and I want people to understand that the more choices that they have, the more freedom that they have. Because I think the more freedom that people experience, the more joy, the more fulfillment, the more joy and fulfillment people are feeling. It's just going to have, using the analogy I said before, that ripple effect. It's going to have a ripple effect on the world. And that's what I'd really like people to connect with. And by reinventing and constantly reinventing, we're constantly creating more choices for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Up. Gold. I just absolutely love that. I love it. Okay. Last question. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? There's such a part of me that does not want to give the same answer that I gave on our first podcast, but it is such a mantra that I live by that I have to, I have to give the same one because I think it speaks to the work that you do Mm -hmm. and it speaks to the work that I do. And it's just such a powerful message is our past cannot define us without our consent. Yep. yep. That, like that, that is, I love that. I love that. Our past cannot define us without our consent. So if we choose, right, it's always that we have a choice in, in what that is. And it's always interesting because so many people will say, you know, working on feeling, whether it's fulfillment, self-love, all of those things, but then they'll say, but this happened to me and this, you know, this has made me who I am, or this is, this is, I'm so embarrassed by this piece of my life. And I'm like, what if that piece 
was the big cornerstone that helped you to be who you are today. Like sometimes our most difficult, even ugly parts of our past, they shape us to who we are and that like they affect how we show up in the world. So blocking them off and creating shame stories and everything around it is almost, it's just not doing it justice. Well, to that point, if we block something off, if we deny a part of what has made us us, and our past is our past. It cannot be changed. It is a component. But if we deny that, how can we ever be whole? And how can we ever be enough if we deny a piece of ourselves? Mm-hmm. Whatever that piece may be, mm-hmm. ugly, beautiful, shameful. But if we deny even a fraction, we'll never be whole. No. We'll never be enough. It's interesting because we said this before, I couldn't agree more. We said this before we started recording is the fact that when we do deny that, or we hide that part of ourselves, we actually give it more power. Like we feed it and we give it more power. Oh, absolutely. When we live in shame and we hide whatever story it may be, it's living in the dark and it's like a mushroom. It's going to, it's going to grow bigger and bigger and it's going to breed in the dark. And what do we do? We start telling our stories, mm-hmm. be vulnerable. And that's opening up the door. It's letting light in. Yeah. And it's just killing it in that, in that way, just letting light shine on it to kill that shame. Mm-hmm. And that's what, and that's when we start feeling whole. And that's when we start feeling enough. And when we feel whole and enough, we can create basically anything that we want in our lives. Mm-hmm. 100%. Honestly, what a great way to end it. And I'm so I'm so grateful for this connection. And I'm so proud of the work that you do and how you show up. And you completely embrace vulnerability. I love it. I love it. And thank you so much for being here again today. Marcia, thank you for having me back on as a guest. Like I said, I love our conversations. I love the work that you do. And I want to thank you for having this platform that allows people to come on and be vulnerable and share their stories because that then empowers other people to do the same. And it just allows us to own those stories. So I want to, I want to thank you and acknowledge you for that. Oh, thank you. And message received message received. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you so much for tuning in to the own your choices Own your life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.